So the first reading tonight is from Isaiah chapter 40, beginning at verse 1. Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up, to, uh, up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Second reading is found on page 957 and is Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is ready at the foot of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering up his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What do you think is the most important thing for you to do in 2016? Uh, is it to live a healthier life? 
uh, to be more active, watch less television, get out, get the blood pumping through the veins properly? Uh, is it to grow in knowledge maybe or to, to continue or begin maybe or complete perhaps some study? Is that what's most important for you to do in 2016? Uh, is it to grow in character of some way? Uh, to be more patient or to be more loving of other people, to be more generous or hospitable? Is that what's the most important thing for you? Is it to give up a bad habit or an addiction? Uh, is it to finish that project or get that renovation done or make sure that that project is, is done with and you can move on to the next one? Or perhaps it's even got a, a sort of a spiritual overtone. Is it, is it to develop better habits in, in Bible reading and prayer? What's the most important thing for you to be doing in 2016? The main point of today's sermon is really very simple. It's one word. I hope you can remember it. It goes a little like this. Repent. Repent. God has sent Jesus into the world, the son of David, the son of Abraham, God's king through whom he blesses the nations, the one who saves us from our sins, the one who is the new Israel. God has sent Jesus into history as ruler and king, so repent. Now what is repentance? What is repentance? It's more than just a sentimental feeling of remorse. It's more than feeling guilty or doing penance or or being sorry. We're told in the Bible that worldly sorrow brings death, but godly sorrow leads to repentance. And so the feeling of guilt or remorse that you might have for something might be the catalyst to repentance, but repentance is much more than that. As Christians, repentance means turning to God. Turning to God. It implies, if you turn to God, that you turn away from other stuff, but the main action is turning to God. Repentance, therefore, begins with changing our mind so that we want to turn towards God, right? And then our attitudes and our values and our priorities and our morality all fall in behind that. It's like a kid who's lost in a shopping centre. As he walks down the aisle, he hears the call from his father behind. And at that moment for the child, there's only one right response in order to be uh, restored with his father, and that is to turn towards his father. For if he keeps going the opposite way, he will remain lost. Likewise, there's only one right response to the coming of God's king, and that is to repent. In Matthew chapter 3, he gives us three reasons why that's true. Why should we repent? Because, number one, the kingdom of heaven is near. Number two, because we need to. Number three, because God has provided the means for our forgiveness. And they're the three things that we're going to be looking at tonight. Why repent? Firstly, because the kingdom of heaven is near. We're in Matthew chapter 3 now. And as we move from Matthew 2 into Matthew 3, we skip forward a number of years. We left Jesus as a little uh, little boy growing up in Nazareth. Now he's about 30 years old. He's ready to step into the ministry limelight, but something needs to happen first. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 1 in Matthew's Gospel. It says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
Now, as is often the case with Matthew, there's a backstory to this in the Old Testament. For example, the setting for John's ministry of baptism in the Jordan River is the same location where Israel entered into the promised land after their exile from Egypt. Therefore, John's ministry is cast as a new beginning for Israel. And when we think of John's ministry, the first thing that often comes to our mind is that he baptised people. That's his title, isn't it? John the Baptist. But the most important thing he did was actually to preach. And Matthew gives us a summary of his message here. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What's this kingdom of heaven he's speaking about? Well, expectations of the kingdom of heaven can be found in the prophet Daniel. And uh, later, in second term this year, we're actually going to spend a term working our way through Daniel. I'm very much excited and looking forward to that. But as a substitute for all human ungodly kingdoms, God promised that one day he would set up his own kingdom. Have a look at this example in chapter 2, verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself remain forever. This future kingdom of God would spell the end of ungodly power. It would be a kingdom that would never pass away, a kingdom that would be universal, a kingdom that would be given to one like a son of man. We skip forward in Daniel to chapter 7, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. That kingdom of heaven that was in the far distant future for Daniel was now at hand as it is revealed through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John's message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now why should we listen to John? What makes him so special that we should listen to what he says? Well, Matthew sees John's ministry as the fulfilment of a number of Old Testament prophecies. Hopefully that doesn't surprise you. Let's look at what they are. Firstly, in verse 3, he says, John is the voice spoken of in Isaiah 40. So let's have a look again at those words from Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins a voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way for the Lord make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God every valley shall be raised up every mountain and hill made low the rough ground shall become level the rugged places are plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken You see, Isaiah prophesied about the servant of the Lord who would bring forgiveness of sins, who would bring salvation for Israel that would flow to the ends of the earth. 
but there would be one who came before him to prepare the way. And the preparation was like preparing a road for him to come on. Get everything out of the way. Get rid of the obstacles. Flatten it out. Straighten it up. God is coming. Therefore, get ready. Uh, I found it quite fascinating uh, in recent months walking around uh, North Richmond and uh, looking at the preparation for the new housing estate down there. It happens to burn my walking route, and so I've, I've seen it. For months, they've been clearing trees. They've been smoothing out land for houses and roads. They've been making provision for water and electricity. They've been installing street gutters and street lights. Eventually, the houses will be built. There's so much preparation has been done beforehand. God is coming. But before he comes, there will be a voice who tells us to get ready. And in Matthew 3, verse 3, he points to John the Baptist and he says, that is the voice. So get ready. Now, if you're not persuaded by that, Matthew goes on in verse 4 to say this. He says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Well, that's all very interesting, but why on earth does he describe John's clothing and food? That's how not, not how I would normally describe someone. Well, again, he helps us to see that the Old Testament is being fulfilled. For back in the book of Malachi, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It was written about 400 years before Jesus. Right at the end of Malachi, God speaks of the day of the Lord that is coming. The day of the Lord when that, that signals God's judgment is coming to earth. But it also means God's salvation is coming. And the last two verses of Malachi... God promises Israel that a new Elijah would come to warn them of the coming day of the Lord. You can see there in uh, verses 5 and 6 of chapter 4. He says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes who will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. That's how the Old Testament finishes. The promise of the day of the Lord with the Elijah to come first. How do you know that Elijah has come? Well, again, we need to understand parts of the Old Testament. Back in 2 Kings, King Ahaziah was king and he was sick. And in his sickness, what he decided to do was to send his messengers to the prophet of Baal chose Baal and not God to find out from the, the prophets of Baal is this sickness going to kill me or will I recover from it? Fair enough question and so the messengers set off but they were intercepted by another man and that man said to them you need to go back to your king and you say to him no this is over this sickness will take your life and so the messengers turn around and they come back to King Ahaziah and they say to him well we met this other guy on the way and he said you're going to die and so Ahaziah had a question. Who was that? And in 2 Kings 1 verse 8, this is what we see. They replied, He was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. The king
king recognize that? He said, oh, that's Elijah the Tishbite. That's how the prophet is described. Now, for over 400 years since Malachi's prophecy, Israel waited for this new Elijah figure to arrive. And in John, we see all the boxes being ticked. He matches the description. His is the genuine voice. So get ready. God's king is coming. Why repent? Because God is coming to visit his earth. And John says, get ready. The only right response to the coming of God's king is to repent, to turn towards God and to turn away from anything in our life that creates an obstacle in our relationship with God. And I hope you can see that that not to turn to him would be like burying your head in the sand and refusing to acknowledge the most important fact in history, which is God's king has come. God's kingdom has been established. And God has promised that his king will return one day at the end of time. How do we get ready for that day when he returns? By repenting. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, that's the first reason that Matthew gives us to repent. He gives us two more. The next one, well, I've summed it up in four words. Why should we repent? Because we need to. Uh, There was a large number of people who came to John to confess their sin and to be baptized. You see that there in verse 5. It says people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But there were others there not so persuaded. Have a look at verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now the Pharisees and Sadducees, of course, are religious leaders. Their their external veneer looked as though they were right with God. They had immaculate religious CVs. They did all the right things. They were seen in all the right places. Why did they come to see John? Well, we're not really told. It may be that they came to add baptism to their CV, another religious ritual box to tick. And that's why they were there. And if that is why they're there, then John says, well, your outward appearance is not fooling anyone. Certainly not fooling God. Might be fooling other people, but not God. There's no evidence of repentance in your lives. There's no fruit consistent with repentance. People thought on the outside they were doing their their duty, but there was no tangible difference to their lives. No turning towards God, which by implication means no turning away from sin. And so baptism isn't just a badge that you can sew onto your uniform. Things like giving to charity are not just things that that God can be bluffed by. 
Friends, don't be fooled into thinking that by doing things you'll be right with God. There's only one way for you to be right with God and that is to repent. Now, it could also be perhaps that the Pharisees and Sadducees never had any intention of being baptised. We're not exactly told that they are. Perhaps they thought that their religious passports uh, that were stamped because they were descendants of Abraham and that got them in and, and really they were there just to make sure that all the other lowlifes in the community confessed their sins and were baptised. And so, friends, again, please don't be fooled. If you're sitting there tonight thinking to yourself, I'm really glad so-and-so's in the room tonight. They really need to hear this message of repentance. This is the best sermon they'll ever hear. Or if you're thinking, Joe, I wish such and such was here. They really need to hear this message. I must remember to get it online for them. If you're thinking either of those things, then you've missed the point. God isn't bluffed. The axe is already at the tree. You see, if John turned to the prostitutes and the murderers and he said, these people must repent, we'd all nod our head in agreement and go, yeah, absolutely they do. But he didn't. He turned to the religious leaders. But the message was the same. You must repent. It doesn't matter that you've been sitting in church for years on end. It doesn't matter that you've been serving in a ministry for years on end. It doesn't matter that you feel like you're owed by the rest of the church because of how much you've done for it. It doesn't matter how much you've given to the church. You're only right with God if you repent. If you haven't actually turned to God in repentance, he can see straight through you. Each of us has sin that needs to be dealt with. So repent. Because we need to. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent because we need to. Finally, we repent because God has provided the means for our forgiveness. Verses 11 and 12, despite appearances, are actually very comforting at this point. For what's the point of repenting if if turning towards God will only bring you face to face with his wrath? That doesn't sound like a real fun decision to make, does it? But is that what happens when we turn to him in repentance? No. What does John say? Have a look at verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It sounds like a picture of judgment. It is a picture of judgment. The, 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 the God's king coming means that judgment is coming because God is going to come to deal with sin. But if you have a look there in the middle, it says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And here's the good news. You see, I can't provide forgiveness for my own sins. I can't do that. But in Ezekiel chapter 36, God promises 
to cleanse us from our sin. He promises to give us a new heart and he promises to give us his spirit who will enable us to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. You say, why repent? Because when we turn to God to escape the coming wrath, we don't turn face to face with the wrath of God again. He has provided the means for our forgiveness because he has sent his king. And so Matthew is pointing us to Jesus and to the death Jesus died to pay for our sin. And he says, when you repent, when you turn to God in repentance, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, there is forgiveness. There is cleansing. Your sin is dealt with. Why repent? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Why repent? Because we need to. Why repent? Because when we do, God provides the means for our forgiveness. How do we repent? Well, by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, by trusting in his death to pay for our sins so that we might be forgiven. As I mentioned before, repentance begins with changing our mind as we turn towards God, as we seek Him and His will for our lives, as we seek to honour Him and live for Him and glorify Him, to praise Him. And then what falls in behind are the other aspects of our life, our behaviour, our attitudes, our morality, our priorities. And for the remainder of our lives, we learn to live under the authority and rule of God's King. And repentance is therefore a lifelong and life-changing process. God gives us new desires in our hearts and minds, but our old desires often linger on. And so the Christian life is a battle and the battlefield is in in our heart and in our mind. Which is why repentance is a daily discipline practiced over a lifetime. It'll be a struggle day by day. But surely it's worth it to escape the wrath of God. I began by asking you, what is the most important thing for you to be doing in 2016? Well, God has established his eternal kingdom. He has set his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as king to rule over it with all authority and power. Surely the most important thing to do is to repent, isn't it? To turn towards God. In the Bible, repentance isn't an option, it's a command. We're commanded to repent. And so not to repent is extreme folly. Not to repent would be to ignore God's gracious provision in his son. Now, what does repentance look like in each of our lives? I can't answer for you. Uh, There might be some similarities between you and me and with each other. Uh, So I'll talk about some, some general sort of things, but you need to work it out with you and God what repentance looks like in your life. 
Uh, but let me go through a few things. One of our Mission 2020 priorities is to grow disciples by deepening spiritual maturity among our members. Well, what better way to grow in maturity than by turning to God? And since it's the beginning of the year, what does it mean to turn to God? It means listening to him in his word and praying to him, doesn't it? Speaking to him. So what are you going to do about reading the Bible this year? Have you got a plan for personal reading? Will you commit to coming to church each week to hear God's voice through his word? Will you join a growth group where you can talk these things over and, and deepen relationships and, 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 and talk about the implications of God's word for our lives? Have you got a plan for prayer that works for you? When will you pray? What are you going to pray about? Those sorts of things. They're good questions to ask from time to time. The beginning of the new year seems like a logical time to ask those sorts of questions. What about goals and priorities? Have you set goals and priorities for this year? Well, let me ask you a question then. Are the goals and priorities that you've set aligned with God's purposes in the world? Or do you need to reevaluate? Uh, what about your life, your godliness? Are there any ungodly behaviours or addictions that you need to address? You know in your heart straight away what they are because it would have come straight to mind right then. Well, let me ask you this question. What action will you take to repent of that this year? Uh, repentance, of course, living a life of repentance will mean that we, we swim in the opposite direction to the rest of society. And that can be hard work. But, in thinking that through, what does repentance look like? What does it mean for you in your work or in your study? What does it mean for you for your life at home? What does living the life of repentance mean for how you steward the gifts that God has given you? Things like your time, your money the gifts he has blessed you with to serve his people. What does the life of repentance look like as you use those things that God has given you? As I said, I don't know what repentance looks like in your life. I've got some ideas of what I need to repent of. I'm not going to share them on tape. Or probably in conversations afterwards, so don't ask me. But tonight, I want you to go away thinking through this idea the main thing is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near because we need to and when we do repent be assured that God has provided the means for our forgiveness as we reflect on what we've been speaking about I'm going to give you a moment of quietness just to, to contemplate what I've said uh, I'll sort of guide your thinking a little bit by, by speaking at times but let's reflect on what we've heard and, and think about what we need to repent of it might be that we need to repent for our rebellion against God that we've been wanting to run our life with us as king instead of Jesus
maybe we've said or done things we should never have done. Maybe there are times when we've not done things or said things when we should have. Perhaps we've done things that have hurt other people or caused breakdown in relationships. We need to repent of those things. Perhaps we need to repent of the way we've stewarded the gifts that God gives us, such as our time and our money, the gifts he gives us to serve his people and his church. Or our priorities don't match up with God's priorities for our lives. Maybe there's ungodliness in our lives. We're reminded of the words of Jesus from Mark chapter 7 where he says, Out of our hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Heavenly Father, we admit that we need your grace and mercy. We thank you for sending Jesus as King of your kingdom. We thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we thank you for the assurance that Jesus has done all that is necessary for us to be saved. Please help us to trust him and turn our hearts and minds towards you that we might desire your will for our lives, that we might desire your honour and glory in the world. Please grant us the desire to live with Jesus as our King and may your spirit change whatever needs changing in us so our lives will produce the fruit of repentance. We ask in Jesus' name.